The week before last was membership, formed for God's family. Last week was maturity, created to be like Christ. So no surprises uh, this week as you follow the steps of stepping in, of stepping on, step in in membership, step on towards maturity, stepping out into ministry. And that's what our time together this morning is all about, stepping out into ministry, shaped for serving God. For as that verse we just read and prayed through says so clearly, we have been created by God in Christ Jesus to do good works that aren't random, but good works that God has prepared for each of us to do. You were made to make a contribution. You weren't simply made to consume, but to make a contribution. God made us to make a difference. God made us in such a way that it matters ultimately not how long we live, but how we live. What matters is not the duration of our lives, but the donation of them. We were meant to make a contribution to give something back. And you will pick up some references through your uh, daily readings this coming week about the various ways the Bible uh, says that we were created to serve. In fact, not only were we created to serve, the Bible tells us that we were saved to serve, and that we've been gifted to serve, and we are shaped to serve. To serve God, to give something back. And so, quite simply, as we begin, we remind ourselves that each one should use what he or she has been given, has received to serve others. For uh, a few years now, we've been thinking about what it means for God to have given us a shape. And if you're using the sermon outlines, you'll, you'll have it there in front of you. Spiritual gifts, abilities, heart, experiences, personality, or personality experiences that each of those factors contributes to the unique shape that you have. There is nobody else like you at all. In fact, turn to the person next to you and repeat this after me. As I look at you this morning, as I look at you this morning, I can honestly say there is nobody quite like you. Because that's absolutely true. There is nobody here quite like you. We celebrate that fact and we thank God for that fact all at the same time. That we are totally unique and there is nobody quite like any one of us here in church this morning. But this verse reminds us that our uniqueness is not simply for our own personal benefit. Our uniqueness is for the benefit of others. So my fourth purpose is to serve God by serving others. And there's space on your outlines to write that in. We are here to serve God. And the way we serve God is by serving other people. You see, some people want to serve God in an advisory capacity. God's not looking for consultants. He's on top with what he wants to do and where he wants to go. Some people say, I really want to serve God, but I'd rather not serve other people. You cannot do that. The way to serving God is through serving other people. And the Bible calls that ministry. 
Ministry simply means using my shape, using the way God has made me, using my gifts, my heart, my abilities, my experiences, my personality to serve other people. That's what the Bible calls ministry. In fact, in the Bible, the words service and ministry are the same word, as indeed the words servant and minister are the same word too. We are all ministers. Because we all have ministries. We all have things God is asking us to do because of the shape, the way he has made us and gifted us. And at the close of this service, I'm asking every one of you to make your way just the short distance to the church halls for two reasons. Firstly, that we might celebrate together the, the, the complete diversity of ways there are to serve God here in and through this church but also to make your way there because it's a short window. To look at all the things that are going on and to think, well, if God has shaped me this way, how is God wanting me to be involved? Which way does God want me or what role does God want me to play on this team of Burlington Baptist Church? It's an opportunity to think about your niche. So if you're a member... if you've decided that this is the place where God has called you to belong, then... The second question is, where does God want me to serve? How does God want me to play my part in this great team effort for his kingdom? And the ministry fair will be an opportunity for us to think that question through in our own hearts and lives a little bit more. To move away from the theory of sitting in pews and pontificating about what God might want us to do, to looking at what is actually happening and how we might play our part in it. And when it comes to ministry... When it comes to serving God, we have a superb model. Jesus said, your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. Very similar to our memory verse for last week. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus from Philippians 2 verse 5. Now, we're going to spend most of our time this morning thinking not about our shape, but about our attitude. You see, your shape, and you'll think about this through the week as you read the material, your shape determines what God wants you to do. But your attitude determines how you do it. Your shape determines your ministry. Your attitude determines your maturity. And God's usually always more interested in the latter. We can spend all our time figuring out our shape without ever getting our attitude sorted out. This morning is about our attitude. What does it mean to serve in the way that Jesus served? Well, first off, serving like Jesus means being available. Being available. One day, Jesus was walking down the road to Jericho and he was interrupted, as so often happened in his ministry. Two blind men Blind beggars probably started shouting out at him. And what happened? They shouted, Lord have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. Circle the word stopped. Jesus stopped. If you want to serve God, you must be willing to be interrupted. If you are serious about doing what God wants, you will have to be serious sometimes about stopping. If you think about it, most of Jesus' ministry was as a result of interruptions, of him stopping. 
Many of the people he healed, the blind man, the lame man, the sick people, the paralyzed man, the dead child, were all interruptions. His first miracle, he was interrupted at a wedding. The second miracle, he was interrupted on the way to Canaan. And so here with these two blind men, Jesus stopped. Lots of times we talk about following in the footsteps of Jesus. Maybe you've done that literally. Maybe you've been to Israel. And there they make a big thing about uh, following or walking in the footsteps of uh, Jesus. The trouble with going to Israel is there are so many things you want to do that most people end up running rather than walking. And so you can buy t-shirts that say, I ran where Jesus walked. And that kind of says something about our contemporary culture, really. I ran where Jesus walked. Are you prepared not simply to follow the steps of Jesus, but are you prepared to follow the stops of Jesus? Are you prepared to stop where you are going? To be interrupted in the things that you are doing in order to serve? There are needs all around us. Almost everywhere we look, there are opportunities for us to serve God. Yet our focus, our speed, our drivenness, the the destination, whatever that might be, we live as those so often who are unavailable. I haven't got time to stop. There's no place in my life for interruptions. So what keeps us? What keeps you from being available? Three barriers. The first one, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is so often one of the reasons that we're not available to serve. Whenever there's a need right in front of us, God's giving us the opportunity to practice serving Him. But often there's a problem. And it's not that we refuse to help, I don't think. Although I guess sometimes we do, don't we? Sometimes we can see a need and we just stubbornly refuse to respond because our hearts are hard. We slip away hoping we're not noticed. We pass by on the other side, to use the phrase in the story of the Good Samaritan. But I don't think we're like that most of the time. At least I hope not. We've got softer hearts than that. You see, I think most of the time the problem is not that we refuse to serve the need that's in front of us. The trouble is that often we just don't see it. Our general self-centeredness, our lives caught up in ourselves, so easily makes us blind to the opportunities all around us that God gives for us to practice serving Him. And so, I love this little verse, forget yourselves in the message, long enough to lend a helping hand. And so often we're, we're consumed with ourselves because of the agendas that we live. Take church meetings. For a moment. I suspect that for most of us, it does not readily cross our mind who puts out all the chairs for a church meeting. And then who clears them all away after everybody is gone. Uh, And we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Because if we do think like that, shame on us. Because usually it's the same few that get them out. Same few that put them away. Month in, month out. Many people have done that for years. Thank God for them. I suspect it's not that we refuse to help. It's that generally we're caught up in what we're doing and we don't notice something that is in front of us. My increased evidence for this is the ministry course. I talk on the ministry course about these church meetings as a particular example of some people who have this natural eye to see areas where God is asking them to serve. You see, there are some people, in fact, all of the people who clear the chairs away at the end of a church meeting, to my knowledge, have never ever been asked to do it. 
But the same few do it faithfully, and God bless you if you're one of them. And they do it faithfully while the rest of us chat around to everybody else and do the things we do. And it's not that we're thinking, oh, you know, I just don't want to do the chairs. I, you know, we just, it just doesn't come into our frame of reference. And the reason I think that's true is after I've shared all this in the ministry course, I can see those who have been on the course taking a keener interest in what happens to the chairs after a church meeting, at least for one or two weeks. You see, it's not that, it's not that we're refusing to help. At least I hope not. It's just that after time, we just don't see it. We don't see it. Second barrier is perfectionism. You see, sometimes we don't want to get involved because it's not perfect. And hey, let me lay you into a secret. Church isn't perfect. If you haven't spotted that church isn't perfect, then you're in for a little shock. Be warned. Because the moment it goes slightly off key, I thought this, I thought this was God's church. It is God's church, but it's made up of imperfect people. This is not a perfect place. And sometimes we don't want to get involved because we know it's not perfect and we like things to be perfect. Or, we're not getting involved because we're waiting until we are perfect. Well, we don't say that. What we mean, we're we're waiting for at least, uh, we know we'd never be perfect, but at least I could be a bit more right. I could be a bit better than I am. Well, I'm a bit better Christian, then maybe I'll get involved and do some works of service. But if you wait for perfect conditions, well, you know what will happen. Thank heavens God doesn't wait until we are perfect. Real servants, Christ-like servants, get involved in all the dirty mess of imperfect things, doing what they can in the love and spirit of Jesus. They don't wait. If God only used perfect people in this world, what would happen? Absolutely nothing. We're all a bunch of misfits. You can say that to your next door neighbour if you like. We all have weaknesses. We all have faults. We all got really weird ways. We're all odd. We've all got failures and hang-ups and handicaps. But guess what? God uses imperfect people because there aren't any perfect people and he longs to use us. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't hang around waiting us for, for us to get to a certain level of spiritual uh, existence. He says, get involved and grow as you get involved. The church, God's means of winning lost people, God's means to save the world, God's means to honour his name, is a place where normal, ordinary, average people say, well, my house isn't perfect, and I'm not perfect, and my diary's not perfect, and my dreams aren't perfect, and I don't perfectly know my Bible, but this one thing I could do to serve God, and I'm going to do it with all of my heart because he gave everything for me. And guess what? We could all do that. We could all do that. We could say, it's not perfect, but I could do that to honour the God who gave himself for me. And our church halls this morning are full of things that we could do and we do do with hearts like that. If you wait till it's all perfect, and if you wait until you're perfect, you know, one day that'll be true. But it'll be too late. And it'll all be over. And it'll have missed the greatest initiative this world has ever seen. With all your imperfections. Longing for God to make you more like him. It's not a cop-out for staying as you are. But with all your imperfections, with all my failures and hang-ups, God says, I want to use you. If you'll be available. If you'll be available.
And then thirdly, third barrier to not being available sometimes is materialism. We said a lot about this in our money series, so I'm not going to labour the point now, except to put this verse perhaps in a different way. Are you busy taking care of things or are you busy taking care of people? Are you busy taking care of things or people? You see, I'm always worried about families where the car is sitting on the drive, shiny and clean, all happy and cared for. And the wife is inside as miserable as sin, like nobody cares. And then you go down a street and there's the house, all perfect and tall. But the people inside are all bowed low. Are we caring for things? Or are we caring for people? Am I going to do stuff that makes a difference to things? Or am I going to use my God-given shape to do things that make a difference for people? People will last. Things won't. People matter, things don't. We want to be a community where each and everything we do, each and every step is about people. People and their journey in life and with God. And so we make ourselves available. Climbing over the barriers of our self-centeredness and the barrier of our perfectionism and the barrier of our materialism. And then secondly, serving like Jesus means being grateful, means being grateful. In the middle of the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, we get this lovely verse that reveals the closeness that Jesus has with his Father and just the gratitude that he has towards Father God. I thank you that you have heard me. I I knew that you always hear me. And I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they might know that I'm grateful that, Father God, you listen to my prayers. And that was a a, a, a kind of a little window on one of the characteristics of Jesus' ministry, his gratefulness. And you can track that through the Gospels. We too are to be grateful, to serve the Lord with gladness. We don't serve out of duty. We do serve out of delight. We don't serve out of obligation. We do serve out of opportunity. And I have to say that if your serving of God is out of duty or obligation, it's time for you to lay that down because you've lost God's purpose for you in it. You see, this Sunday about, about serving is not about the, the church, whoever they are, beating us all up with some kind of stick to get more involved. It's not about that at all. I don't want anyone to get involved out of some kind of duty or obligation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation that comes ultimately from God to share in His enterprise here on earth, to share in his kingdom building here on earth. And with that sense of gratitude that he has loved us, loved us just the way we are, loved us enough not to leave us that way, forgiven our past, guaranteed our future, given us a purpose in the present, out of that gratitude, we say, yes, Jesus, I'd love to be on your team. I'd love to play my part. It is he who saved us, and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. At the end of this, we'll sing uh, the, the song that has in the, in the chorus, in royal robes, we don't deserve, we live to serve his majesty.
trouble. We're not always full of gratitude, are we? We're not always overflowing with grateful hearts. And again, there are barriers to gratitude in our service. The first is comparing and criticizing. Strange, really, isn't it? That we've got the world to win and we're called to be on the same team. And yet sometimes we find ourselves competing with one another. Who are you to criticize someone else's servant? The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful. Ultimately, it's not our opinion that matters anyway, but it's God's. Competition with each other is madness. We haven't got time to compete with one another. It's not about winning above the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you or wherever it might be. It's about winning the lost. It's one-upmanship that destroys churches and destroys togetherness and destroys family. We're on the same team. So we'll stop that and not do that anymore. And the same thing as of criticising. Now, let's be very clear. Some people make criticism, or perhaps we call them comments, in order to build us up. We need as much commenting as we possibly can to build us up. We need all the help we can get. But you know, sometimes criticise you not to build you up, but to knock you down. And you know what I mean by that. The Bible has strong things to say about that. We haven't got time. We haven't got time to work through the healing of what happens when people knock us down like that. We're on the same team. Let's build each other up. For heaven's sake. For heaven's sake. Second barrier is wrong motivation to this sense of gratitude. When you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. Self-promotion and servanthood don't mix either. And a lot of our service can be self-serving at times. Why do we do the things that we do? Well, let's be honest, we always do them with mixed motives. We serve to get others to like us. We serve to be admired. We serve to achieve our own goals. We serve as a way of kind of bargaining with God. You know, God, if I serve you, then you'll take care of me. And sometimes we're serving, and all the time we're serving, we're thinking about how noble we are. How good we are at doing all this stuff for God. And sometimes we just try and manipulate Him, and we're quite open about that with Him sometimes. If I do all this for you, God, then I expect to have clocked up some heavenly nectar points. Which means actually when I'm in trouble I can call them in and you will be there for me. If I do this for you then one day you will do for me on my terms. And God smiles and loves us still. We're complex people and sometimes the jobs we do even in church don't need us as much as we need them. And we slip from the place of gratitude in our lives. So how do we spot all these wrong motivations? It's easy really. When gratitude has slipped, your motivation is almost certainly wrong. When you lose a sense of gratefulness to God that he should have you and use you on his team, that you can bet your bottom dollar that your motivation is screwed at that point. Are you serving today overwhelmed by what he has done for you? Full of thankfulness that you're on his team. And then thirdly, and finally, serving like Jesus means being faithful. It means keeping going. It means not giving up. 
I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Let's not give up on the things God has asked us to do. So what motivates us to keep going? What motivates us to to be the servant who is seen to be faithful? Well, three things. Stay faithful because earth is just for a moment, really. It's only a brief moment that we're here on earth. It's only in this brief moment that we can win the lost, heal the broken, support the downtrodden, pray for the sick. Just the short preface, this brief introduction to the real thing. Seize each day as a gift to do something special because one day that door of opportunity will be over. Stay faithful because serving God is what really matters. Most of what I do in life probably doesn't matter very much. Maybe most of what you do in life doesn't matter very much. Where will it be in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time? But any time you're serving Jesus, you know that it matters. So throw yourself into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. Nothing. It all matters. Even the little stuff. Every act of service matters. Makes a difference in God's eternal purpose. You see, the eternal destiny of several thousand people was secured because of this church. True? Hello? There are several thousand people in heaven today because of this church. That matters, doesn't it? That's worth getting out of bed for, don't you think? No, no, no. Well, turn that electric blanket off then, for goodness sake. Get out of bed. If by our faithfulness here and our fruitfulness, people end up in heaven, does that matter much? Yes. So stay faithful. Because it really, really matters. And remember that, the, that there's a huge difference between doing things that are prominent and doing things that are significant. On your body, your nose is quite prominent. I don't, I just, that's a generalization. I'm not literally speaking to you, but if the cat fits, wear it, I suppose. Your nose is quite prominent, but actually, someone could take your nose off and you would live. I'm not sure what kind of life you'd have, but you'd live. But then there are other organs that you will never see and nobody else, we hope, will ever see. Your heart and your liver and your lungs. Try taking them away. It's not what's prominent that matters. It's what is significant that matters. And in God's agenda, sometimes the little things matter most. A long time ago, two teenage boys, they didn't know what else to do, so they went in to a church service because they were invited And it was a bit like this, but it was packed, absolutely packed. And the boys wandered in down the aisle towards the front. They couldn't find anywhere to sit, so they wandered back out. They were just leaving the church, and one of the ushers went after the two lads and said, don't worry, please don't go, I'll find you a seat. And he took those two boys back in, walked them right down the aisle to two seats right in the middle. It made a bit of a fuss, but he got those boys in there at the centre. That night, those two boys gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And one of them was called Billy Graham. 
Billy Graham. Because of the usher, the little things really, really matter in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter whether it's well known, it doesn't matter whether it's prominent, it matters in God's agenda, whether it's significant. And some of the most significant things that have happened in this church over these last 12 months have not been prominent. Some of the greatest miracles have hardly been celebrated from the front here or mentioned. Some of the greatest acts of service have never received an accolade or an applaud. But in God's agenda, they really, really matter. Today is a day to thank God for all the unsung heroes that make up our church. And our leadership team meeting on Tuesday night, we were praying for the life of our church and Linda, our treasurer, was praying, uh, recollecting when she became the treasurer. And because uh, all the money had to pass through her or, or she got sight of it, there were a whole load of things going on in our church that she hadn't previously known or would otherwise know. Lots happening, in, insignificant in the world's eyes, maybe, because they're not prominent. But in God's agenda, they really, really matter. We want to be about the prominent. Sorry, we don't want to be about the prominent. We want to be about the significant. Napoleon pointed at a map of China and said, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, It will shake the world. We can be like that sleeping giant, can't we? But imagine, imagine if every one of us who came here served here. What kind of enormous spiritual nuclear reaction would there be as this sleeping giant awakes under the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's sing that.